Hello, and welcome to At the Apex, a show about car enthusiasts living on the Canadian prairies. My name is Matt, and I'll be your host today. And I've got Ryan O'Connor here with me again. First up today, I want us to discuss um, a, a topic that we had um, started talking about last week. And, and there was a, a thing that we said we wanted to follow up on. It was around what car or what engine would actually get better fuel economy out of our affordable sports cars. And uh, th we had listed two separate engines, but there's those engines go in a few different cars. So um, it was the 2JZ, which exists in both the Toyota Supra and the Lexus IS300. And then there's the 13B rotary engine in both the RX-7 and RX-8. And um, oddly enough, it was actually really close. I thought that the rotary would be far worse, but it turns out that the RX-8 in the 2010 model year had a combined fuel economy of 10.1 and the 1998 Supra, which is the last model year for that, um, had 13.8. Uh, and, and oddly enough, the mid-2000s IS300 also had 13.8 liters per 100 kilometers combined. So um, I, I thought that that was quite fascinating that they had the same fuel economy in, in a turboed versus non-turboed performance versus sort of like a sporty family car. Um, so yeah, anyways, that was just a, a follow-up from last time. And uh, getting into today's topic, um, we want to go into a bit more detail around what got us into cars and, and you know what kind of cars we've owned, why we owned them, what our favorite was. Um, so I'll just start with um, getting Ryan here to to kick this off. Thanks, Matt. Um, well, my first first ever car was when I was 15. I picked up a 1986 Toyota Corolla GTS hatchback. Uh, I went out to Regina Beach and picked that one up. And it didn't last me too, too long, sadly. I think I maybe had it four or five days after my driver's license and got T-boned in the middle of a, an intersection by Wascana Park. Um, but that was that was honestly probably one of my favorite cars I've owned, even though I had it for such a short time. Uh, when I went back and when I was doing my bachelor's degree at the U of S, I picked up a, a coupe, one of those, and it was just a fun little thing until, well, again, with being such an old car, I got pulled over for rust and leaks and whatever else, and that got pulled off the road. Um, but aside from old... Corollas. I've owned a large variety of RX-7s. I've owned every single generation of them, turbo, non-turbo, um, only one third gen twin turbo. But that was that was probably one of my favorite cars I've owned to date. Um, I think just the novelty of... This is back when right-hand drive vehicles were very rare, and the novelty of having something that was right-hand drive and twin turbo... And just that appeal of the rotary engine that I developed over the years from having a variety of different RX-7s, this was sort of the pinnacle of that for me. It was sleek, it had the pop-up headlights, it had the most horsepower any RX-7 had ever seen from factory. And I'd done autocrossing a whole bunch prior to owning this car. And sadly, just because of the poor tire setup I had, I had no suspension on it, whatever else, it was one of the slowest cars I've probably autocrossed, which, oddly enough, didn't really change it from being one of my favorite. Well, it was probably uh, one of the slowest because, you know, with any turboed car, the, the power doesn't really come in until higher in the rev band. And when you're autocrossing, 
you you're typically you know not going very far before you have to shift gears just because you know there's it's such a tight and twisty course well and see that was one of the appeals of it is it has sequential twin turbos so it had a, a smaller turbo that would spool up and then a larger turbo that would pick up the slack but you'd always notice this little bit of a a dip still between the two turbos. I think it was really, like, it's, it was a great car. I think somebody in a far more capable situation than me could have done a lot more with it. I think I just had no idea what I was getting myself into driving it, and I'd really done no work prepping the car. I'm not trying to talk down about the car at all. And I get what you mean totally about a if you had a big single turbo, I could totally see that lagging and in a tight autocross course. You'd never really be able to stretch its legs fully. Well, and like the ARC-7, I think it was in 1993, was voted as one of the best sports cars of all time. So it is a great car, like that third-gen third gen ARC-7, like that, it, it's an amazing car, um, and will go down in history as one of the greatest sports cars of all time. Well, I don't remember, I should look this up. I think it was Playboy's, like, voted car of the year. Yeah, never mind. I don't know where I'm going with this one, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But do you remember that award that I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it was... I don't know what it was specifically called, but I think it was the Playboy Car of the Year. Yeah. I and don't want to, like... It was in 1993 or 1984 that they voted that. Uh, aside from my FD RX-7, I've had a variety of different first-gen RX-7s, and... Again, out of all of those, I think my favorite was probably my 1979. It was a 1.2 liter carbureted rear drum, front disc. It wasn't anything special, but it just had some charm to it, which I think a lot of these newer cars are are losing. And a lot of newer cars are you, you no longer have the the cable controlled throttle. It's a sensor to a, a, a electric servo motor, and that's how you get your throttle feel and it, it's hard to explain. It just had this this charm to it. All of its flaws are what gave it a lot of character. Having a solid rear end, which was similar to my old Corolla, um, and just just the feel of the car. You could actually get a response of everything back. Every little bump, every little dent in the road, kind of kind of gave you some sort of feedback where you don't really feel that so much anymore. It's, a lot of newer cars get rid of that road feel. Which is kind of what I think is neat about how Toyota and Subaru added that resonator pipe into the cabin so you hear your intake sound. But it almost just seems superficial. Um, but with those older cars, you just genuinely had that road noise and that engine noise. And I guess it it was quite a poorly maintained car. And a lot of that road noise and engine noise did come from holes in the floor or around mm-hmm. the body. And <laughs> yeah. Again, its flaws are what gave it that character, I think. Yeah, like when we first met, uh, the one thing that I knew about um, Ryan was you had these RX-7s, and it was just seemed to be like a, like almost like a revolving door of RX-7s. Every time I'd see you, <laughs> you'd have a different one. I, I think well, you I mentioned one time you had something like 30 different RX-7s over the years. Some some worked I, and some didn't work, but... I think I maxed out at 17 different first gens. Yeah. I don't. I didn't really count for second and third gens because those are just sort of the unicorns of them all. Because, well, you could get a turboed second or third gen, and I was just used to my little hundred-ish horsepower jalopies. Mm-hmm. And I know what you mean about the charm. You know, it's 
that's similar to uh, my first car, which was a 1984 Camaro. And yeah, like there was no insulation in the doors and there was, you know, sometimes it wouldn't start because of the carburetor would be jammed shut or, you know, whatever. And, and I, t I totally get what you mean by um, charm in that, you know, I don't know, there's something about it where it was like, sometimes you, you didn't know if it would, it would actually start up that day or, you know, and then you felt every bump and every, um, you know, every noise and every squeak. Well, and I think sometimes what goes along with that is when your car is broken or you have to work on it, you build up more of an intimate relationship with the machine. You've, you, you know how it works because you've had to fix it because it didn't want to work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, so then I guess we'll go on to my first car, which I, I'd already mentioned. It's It was a 1984 Camaro. It was a V6, so um, although the V8s didn't have much more power, the reason I ended up getting that Camaro is is mostly because my dad and had always been a Camaro guy. He he grew up liking the Camaro. He'd owned a I think it was a '79 or '78 Camaro RS, and he just constantly talked about how much he loved that car and and how amazing it was. And then so it kind of convinced me to buy this this 1984 Camaro. Um, it was completely gutless. I think it had probably less than 100 horsepower by then because this is in 2001-ish and uh, yeah but it was it had lots of charm I had lots of fun with it it was a great car but um, um, yeah ultimately got rid of it and bought what I would say is my favorite car that I've owned is a 1998 Honda Civic uh, Coupe wasn't your Camaro automatic it was an automatic, yeah. So that was okay. that was really a. I didn't really know anything about cars at the time, but I knew I wanted a Camaro, and um, this happened to be the one that fit my budget, which wasn't very much. But um, yeah, I ended up with an automatic, and you know it worked good for me because at the time I didn't know how to drive a manual. Although on that same note, I didn't know how to drive a manual when I went on the test drive for my. Civic, I kind of knew in my head how to do it because I'd seen other people do it, but I'd never actually done it before. And so my test drive on my Honda Civic was when I first ever drove a manual. It's actually funny you say that because when I bought my '86 Corolla, which was a five-speed, I had to take a friend out to Regina Beach with me because I was pretty sure I was going to buy the car. It was a good price. Again, it was all about that budget. But then I couldn't even test drive it and bring it home. And <laughs> That was the weirdest feeling ever to buy a car and have to sit in the passenger seat. Well, yeah, like it, it is a weird feeling. Although I, I just talked a big game and it's like, yeah, I know how to drive this. <laughs> I stalled it a few times, but I think I did okay overall. Um, ended up loving that car and, and taking it home a, a week or two later. I bought it from a dealer because it was, it was only about five years old at the time. Um, yeah, and I owned that car for seven or eight years before it got to the point where I couldn't afford to do the engine work needed. I, like, I absolutely loved that car. I'd been modifying it. It was exactly what I liked. Um, but it needed a, basically an engine rebuild. It was had a leaky head gasket and uh, burning oil and things like that. And it, it needed some, mere, some severe engine work. But as a university student at the time, I, I just couldn't afford it. 
So sadly had to, to part with that. Um, and ended up buying a Chevy Cruze. Um, you know, that was, it was so different to own a, a Cruze versus my Civic. My Civic had been lowered. It was on um, a pretty hard suspension, but, you know, you felt every little bump in the road, like we talked about earlier with your ARC-7s, but you felt every bump in the road. You felt like there's some road noise because it had, you know, performance tires on it and, and a few different things. Um to go to the Chevy Cruze, which was brand new at the time, and having none of that, I, the first time I drove that that car on the on the freeway, I was like, I feel like I'm gonna just fly off the road here because I can't feel what's going on underneath me, and it was, I think that, I think that they had the electronic steering, um, and throttle and stuff in that car. I, I can't remember exactly, but. It just was such a weird feeling to go from the Civic to the Cruze. Not to cut you off there, but I don't know if I ever told you, and I know probably no one listening knows, that after you owned your Civic, years later, I owned my Civic, and yours was a, a 98, right? You just said yeah, that? Yeah, it was a 98. Well, mine was a 99, and I didn't realize at the time, because I wasn't a big Honda guy, that there was such a big difference. They didn't, I didn't know they did the refresh and everything. Still the same generation. But I think it was partially because of your Civic that I ended up buying my Civic that I loved for so long. That I, oh, I think it was, what, four years or something that I owned it? Yeah, I and, think something like that. You know, up until that point, and I mean, there's going to be a lot of naysayers. You don't really know the joys of owning a Honda until you own a Honda. And I can honestly say that I'm converted now to see the benefits of it. Like, I built that into an autocross car, and that thing was great for me. I loved it, and I think if I hadn't switched over to a newer car, I probably would still be racing it today. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely was inspired by your old Civic. Yeah, like, one of the great things about those, you know, 90s Civics is that between those and the Integras, you could literally just take parts from basically any of the models and swap it around. It was so cookie-cutter, which was great, because, you know, some had 170 horsepower, and mine had 106, I think it was. Um, and without a ton of effort, you could literally just swap the engines out. It, it's just like Lego. Yeah. You'll find an Acura EL, and... 99% of the parts will swap over to your Honda Civic. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, well, and the aftermarket support for those things is insane. It's not, where do I find this part? Like, when you're looking for a 1970s RX-7 something, it's, well, here's the part you're looking for. What color would you like it in? <laughs> yeah, well, that, and that was, yeah, one of the, honestly, my favorite parts of owning that Civic is, oh, I want to get some new suspension for it. You just, it's, five-minute Google search, and there's hundreds of options. Whereas I remember you talking about when you wanted to do anything with your ARC-7, like your your first-gen ARC-7, it was, okay, well, let's, there's a one in the scrapyard two hours from here, and, and they it might have the part I'm looking for, and you know, or you paid an arm and a leg to get one custom-fabricated for you, and, you know, it was, it's such a different um, culture around owning those two different cars. 
Although I have to admit now, I'm I'm almost inspired to want to buy another one because it's it's retro cool. Those Datsun 240Zs have really paved the way for stuff like old RX-7s to come back. Mm-hmm. So like um, I don't know if you've heard of Techno Toy Tuning, not sponsored. Um, like companies like Techno Toy Tuning make all the parts I would have ever wanted for my car back in the day and could never find. But there's a market for it now. People look at those old cars and go, "Oh man, that's cool." Datsun 240Zs, old RX-7s. I mean, there was this magazine I got out of the States, Black Dragon Automotive, that I could kind of order some stuff from, but that that sounds pretty archaic right now. I'd have to order a magazine to order a part? (laughs) Yeah, this was in the era sort of almost, almost before the internet really became really big. Like, it was, it was mainstream already by that point, but not, not like it is today. Are you feeling old right now? I am. I, just, I am feeling I feel very old. old. I, oh. What is Google? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I still remember it was Google versus Ask Jeeves versus Bing, and I think we all know how Bing turned out. <laughs> yeah, um, we're kind of getting off topic here, but... Um, yeah, we're but, totally way on the other yeah. side of the track. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and... You know, after that cruise, I, I ended up kind of getting more into um, family vehicles due to my circumstances at the time. But got a Ford Freestyle, which was okay. It wasn't exactly my favorite. It was it was given to us, which um, you know I'm very appreciative that that we ended up having it, and it, it did really well for us. But um, ultimately, the CVT transmission in it that, um, went on it and. And again, couldn't afford to replace the transmission at the time. Um, what so year was that? I think it was a 2010 or something like that. Somewhere so pretty early there. on in those. Yeah, CBT it was kind of early, an early CVT for sure. Um, and then I bought a Ford Edge after that, and my ultimate family wagon. I've got a Kia Sedona right now. It's my daily driver, and. I was so against minivans for so many years, and I have to admit, I've completely converted. They are amazing for hauling the kids around, and and right now that's that's what's important to me. But um, you know, it, it is still kind of really nice, actually. It, it's got a nice interior. It's got kind of a sleek exterior, and. You know, thinking back to the minivans from when I was in high school and elementary, like, you know, I keep thinking back to those when I was so against buying a minivan and, and you know, they were just really awful. <laughs> There's no way to get around it. They were just awful. Um, For anybody were... who's just tuned in halfway through, Matt is still talking about the sleek design of a minivan. Hey, you know what? <laughs> it is... I actually quite like it, and like I said, it's my daily driver. I I have it purely for practicality. It's not what I would own if I didn't have kids or my kids were older. Um, but for right now in my life, that's exactly what I need. And um, yeah, you know, sometimes I I really wonder after our first podcast and this one where you're I'm super big into F1 and I was coming in going I don't like F1 and I've always been a big fan of minivans and. Um, we're kind of going in chronological order for you, and I'm sort of all over the place, but after my Civic, I did get a a Fit and a CRV, and, you know, I got the SUV 
because my wife didn't want to go for a minivan, but I was totally on board to get a minivan, and I don't think you were ever totally on board to get a minivan. But no, um, never. I, I don't know if I would have ever said sleek. I'm just kind of going more on the. This looks so practical. It's so alluring. The practicality of this is pulling me in, and I think that's why I've always been on board with a minivan. But then we settled for an SUV, and because of my positive experiences with a. 92 Civic Hatch, and then my 99 Civic Hatch, we ended up going for a 2011 Honda CRV, which we still have and love, and it's great. And honestly, I've had so few issues with it. And I'm I'm not going to say it's sleek, but I'm I'm going to say that I I think it's aged very well, and mm. I think it's done the job to haul the kids and haul our stuff. And for anyone listening who doesn't realize, yes, Matt and I are both relatively old and have children. So we have a maybe different perspective on vehicles than a lot of people would have. Um, but backing up, um, before that, I did end up getting a uh, 2013 Honda Fit automatic. I knew what I was getting myself into. It kind of looked like a Caterpillar. But I absolutely love that car, and I don't know why either. I did autocross it a couple times, but I think that's just the, the addiction coming through of if you have something that has wheels and you you like to race, you're probably just going to try racing anything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you even raced your, your 98 Civic back in the day and did well. Yeah, no, I think your sure. biggest issue was your mud flap scraped, but mm-hmm. that was really nothing to complain about. No, I, and because of that, I ended up actually just taking them off. Yeah, my, I took mine off too right away. There's mm-hmm. no saving those. No. Um, you know, that is a good segue into... Um, our racing experiences that we we had together or you know separate even um, but um, we we often went racing at a place called three flags motorsport park again this is not sponsored by them in any way um, we just had some good experiences there and um, yeah so uh, ryan if you can just give us a refresher on what three flags motorsport park is and kind of who uses that facility well I don't know if it was always called Three Flags. Honestly, it's been so long, I can't even remember what it used to be called. I just knew it back in the day when we were in high school as the go-kart track that they let people race cars on through the Queen City Motorsports Association. Um, I don't think you ever actually ended up racing at Kings Park Speedway with me, but they also did quite a bit of racing, setting up pylons on the big uh, tarmac oval there. But I think primarily now, everything's out at Three Flags. Um, You can go out there with the Queen City Motorsports Association. You can go out with the BMW Club. I believe you can still go out with the Corvette Club. And for 30 40 bucks, depending on who you're with, you can go out and have a good half a day, day of racing on the track in your own car with very minimal wear and damage to it. Um, for me, I got into it. A friend of mine was involved with the QCMA and said I should come out. Took my old 70s RX-7 out there, had a blast, did terrible, didn't care. It was kind of the best part of it. And I think the best part, and you'll never get this feeling twice, is the first time you go out on the track and you pull off into the pits and you try and get out of your car and your hands are shaking and your feet are shaking. It's just the best adrenaline rush you're ever going to have. Oh, yeah. Like, I I was literally going to just mention about that when, um, when you got me to come out there for the first time. And this was, oh, geez maybe 2004 something like that and uh yeah I, I pulled off after my first run i was shaking so much i i honestly thought i was going to throw up like it was such a adrenaline rush 
and I'll never forget that feeling. Well, and you know, I've never had the exact same feeling again. I mean, you'll get the nervousness, you'll get the butterflies, you'll get the excitement, but it's just, you just start to get desensitized to it, which I think is why people sometimes keep pushing further and faster and doing crazier stuff or wanting to, you know, it becomes more of a competition and honing that skill than just going there for that the rush. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Um, but I know they also have kart racing out there, and I've never done the kart racing, but I believe you've gone out to Three Flags and actually done the go-karting out there. Yeah, and this was only a few years ago, but the, like you said, it is a karting track originally, um, which then got expanded to be, I guess, more able to have cars run on it. Um, but yeah, I did karting on it, which they still use the short track, which was which is great. But just the, um, you know, your awareness of your speed, even though you're not going all that fast in a kart, in a go kart, you it's like you think you're going so fast. You think you're going, uh, you know, 100 kilometers an hour when you're really only doing maybe 20 or 30 or maybe a little bit more than that. But, yeah, it's just the illusion of speed when you're in a cart because you're, you know, the open air, you've got the, the motor right behind you, um, you know, the road rushing past you. But, yeah, like, that that place is great for karting. Um, and, and it's really... It's actually quite popular as a karting track. Um, I know when we tried to book there, we had to book several weeks in advance in order to get a slot long enough to have more than just one or two runs. So, yeah, like like I said, it, it's a great track for karting. It's also a great track for autocrossing your, your car um, because of the longer track that they have. So is that um, you, you guys had to rent their carts when you were there? Yeah, so you can either rent their carts or... I believe that if you own a cart, you can bring it, but not for like the the regular times that you can rent. Um, I, I, my understanding is that if you have your own cart, typically they're better quality or a little bit more powerful, etc. Um, and they have special days and times for those particular cars, so that way you're not trying to you know race a one that's got like a motorcycle engine in it that's got 150 horsepower versus you know the 20 horsepower lawn lawnmower engines they have on the other on the regular ones so um yeah like there is competitive karting out there um if you're into that as well you don't want to compete in the lamborghini equivalent of a go-kart versus the 98 honda civic equivalent of a go-kart <laughs> well exactly <laughs> although you know through autocrossing i have seen some pretty crazy matchups with stuff like that but that's yeah. maybe another story for another day. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what? Yeah. So you mentioned the your a friend of yours got you to go out there for the first time, but um, what was your thoughts on on going out there after your first time was finished? Um, and then why did you keep going? You know what? Sometimes I have to stop and remind myself because there was periods in time when I got busy, like university and just life gets busy or you know you have a 1970s rx7 and it's broken and you're not able to go race what pulls you back into it i think it was really in all honesty that competitive nature i had a lot of close friends who also started autocrossing they would build their cars up get faster i'd want to build my car up get faster 
and just you know one of the biggest things about autocross too is you're not even just running against other people you know maybe somebody's going to bring in a car that's in a different class that's a friend of yours but then you're always competing against your own time and trying to get better and better or you're personally improving your own vehicle i know when i was building up my 2000 civic it was night and day okay tires on it wow that was great what can i do next suspension that was amazing what am i gonna do next okay sway bar and i just kept you know, you just keep wanting to do more to improve. And you just you can see the growth when you're autocrossing because it's not always against somebody else. But that having that person or a friend that you're competing against and that almost sort of rivalry, frenemies, if you will, honestly is a great drive too. So depending on however you want to look at it, there's always something entertaining to go out and do. It's a terrible spectator sport. I'm not going to lie. If you're going out there to watch it, you are going to the wrong event. You should probably be going to a demolition derby. Mm. If you're going out there to watch a friend or to compete against a friend, watching to see how well they take certain corners or in some cases you have to choose decisions for chicanes or whatever else and trying to determine that better line sometimes just drives you to keep trying and going and you want to go out every single time to get as much seat time as you can to improve yourself. Mm. Um, For a lot of the guys that I know, that pushed them into things like race schools or trying to get into more competitive leagues. Some people went to time attacks. Some people went to wheel to wheel. It really just depends on what you're looking into. For a while there, uh, a lot of my friends who I was competing against, when I got out of it in university, they went the next step further and went into chump car, which is now, I believe, champ car. And you build up a whole car from scratch and can run long endurance races. And it's... It's a whole other ballgame than autocross. Autocross is a good stepping stone, and it's a good hobby. Um, but if you ever want to go further, there's more that you can do with it. Kind of like karting, too. Like, karting's a great start for a lot of professional drivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like over in Europe, um, karting is, like, almost required, you know, if you want to eventually become a professional race car driver. So, um, you know, karting definitely has its place. It also has its place in just purely being a fun activity to do. For, for an afternoon um, but yeah you're right about the autocrossing you know that's that's what kept me coming back the few times I did um, ultimately there was you know too many excuses in the book to that stopped me from coming regularly but you know I always wanted to come more than I was and um, yeah it was that okay well I got this time last time and you know oh you know I improved by two seconds this today because you know, I, I remembered the lines I should have taken and, and you know, it's that, that battle against your own time. And that that's really where it comes down to, you know, bringing yourself to actually go back out there, be competitive, be, don't worry about all the other cars out there that maybe have more horsepower or better suspensions or whatever. You know, you have to be competitive against yourself and in, in your own class. Well, and, you know... As much as I hate to say this, there was an event. I took my Honda Fit out. I've only ever autocrossed it once, and it's it's long sold now. But I showed up to an event. This is after I'd sold my Civic, but I still had my RPF1s and my Falcon tires on it. And I slapped them on my Civic, and I had my little booster seat in the back, and I ran an autocross event. And it was the most satisfying feeling to beat a twin-turbo Supra with a automatic Honda Fit with a car seat in it. I like I totally different classes, but when you know you can reach to that next class, it just is a good feeling. Mm-hmm, totally. 
Um, what else did you want to talk about for autocrossing? I know you've done it a lot over the years. So, you know, now you've got kids, you've got family, you've got career, but you still make time to go out there. Um, so what's your motivation for that? Well, in all honesty, I think it's something that I want to share with my kids. So I feel like it's something I want to keep maintaining. I, you know, when I bought my new car last year, it was a 2017 Toyota 86 that was sitting on the lot. It was a year end buy. And I knew in the summer I was going to autocross it, but I could have picked a bunch of different other cars for that price. But I think what I ended up doing was choosing that car because it had that back seat. It had the reliability. It was something that would have the longevity to race that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be the most comfortable for my kids, the bigger they get, but it's something I can still bring them to an event in. If I really wanted to travel to a different province, I could haul all my stuff in it, or I could haul a person and some of my stuff in it, and it's something that I can just share the event with. Mm-hmm. You know, I still really enjoy the competition of it. I still really enjoy what can I do better and with my mechanics background, I'm always wanting to tweak and play with the car and see what I can do. But, you know, and a lot of it is that personal driver modification. I want to be better. You know, I don't think I'm at the point where I'm ever going to become a professional race car driver. Not to date ourselves anymore, but I think we're, we're past our prime in that. But it's really just for the fun, personal gain of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's winter now, and I've already got the itch. I set up... Gran Turismo with a force feedback wheel and a shifter in my basement just so I can keep improving on that for fun. And it's enjoyable and that it's it's just working towards a goal of maintaining it and getting a little bit faster and getting a little bit better and just enjoying that improvement. Yeah, and you, you also went to um, race school, I believe, last year, was it? Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, that's a really great tool for you to help improve your skills as well. Uh, well, this is the second time I've actually gone in 2012. I went to a, an HPDE event, uh, with the Winnipeg sports car club out of Gimli. And I actually drove my 1979 RX-7 out to that. And this time I brought my 8.6, which was a much more enjoyable drive. And, um, you know, you just meet a bunch of great people and get a lot of one-on-one time with an instructor, get to learn how your car handles, push it in a whole different environment. You know, I feel like I know the 8.6 is a slow car and compared to horsepower for its same price margin or even just modern cars in general. But um, when I was running some wheel-to-wheel stuff and a 90s Civic with arrow all over it flags you to pass because he thinks you're faster than him and then you hit the straightaway and you're full throttle and you can't pass the Civic from the early 90s, you learn that your car doesn't have a lot of power and autocross is really probably where you should be. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to get to learn that. And then once I got back into the tight corners after that straightaway, you could really see where you can shine or where you can improve on. And every car is going to be different. So going there and learning those things about yourself and your specific car. I think if you came back every single time with a different car, you would have a genuinely different experience and take away so much more. If I still had my 2000 Civic, it would have been a very different experience just being the difference between front-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. And I got so settled into the safety of autocrossing front-wheel drive, I think jumping into a couple autocross events and an HPDE event with a rear-wheel drive car 
kind of threw me a little bit for a loop, but then you just have to get back into that groove. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, you mentioned that you couldn't pass the Civic um, with all that arrow, but at the same time, yeah, like like you mentioned, the the eight six is is really designed for autocrossing and the, the the cornering and things like that. It's not a huge horsepower car that's just good for drag racing and stuff. It's not like a Dodge Demon or anything where, you know, that that's really good at one thing and um, and not much else. But you know, your eight six is is more well rounded. It's also comfortable. It's um, you have a giant wing on it. <laughs> so, well, that's that's new. That I actually haven't even... Well, I guess I've done one autocross with it, but I think it's safe to say that a, a big arrow wing like that isn't helping me much in an autocross. <laughs> yeah, no, there's probably not enough um, airflow to, to really produce any downforce for you on that for autocrossing. But, you know, if you go back out to Gimli to do more circuit racing or time attack or whatever you end up doing with it, that will actually, you know, create downforce for you to, to improve your cornering speeds. Well, and that's kind of the hope of it. And that's sort of the finding little ways to tweak and play and change. And I mean, I never thought I would be the guy who has a, a giant carbon fiber wing on my car, but you know what? I guess I'm here now. <laughs> well, my, you know how I much, I love a, a giant carbon fiber wing on the back of cars. So I'm fully supportive of it, and hopefully one day that I will also have a car with some sort of a giant wing on it. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of racing, obviously. I mentioned that previously. Um, and I just love the look of, of, you know, like the IMSA GT LM cars and GTE cars and things like that, where it's just like a regular car with all this arrow on it, um, Yes, they're heavily modified for racing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but when you look at it from the outside, it looks like a regular car that you could, could see on the street. And, and you know, I really like the look of those, so hopefully one day um, I'll be able to be have one of those, you know, and be, and be proud of it. You know, it's I don't really care that people don't like maybe the, the giant wing or the arrow or whatever, but, you know, to me, that that is what I'm wanting. Well, I think there's just way too much race-inspired vehicles that just hang out on the street or, or car show queens that are giving a lot of the actual practical stuff a bad name. And, you know, maybe at the same time I'm doing that too. If I drive around all summer with my wing on and haven't been to a race in three weeks, I'm kind of being that guy. But yeah, but I think there's a you, little bit. At least you do go racing with it. Yeah. Which, I mean, no one knows when you're cruising down to 7-Eleven, but... Yeah, but it doesn't I really matter, saying. right? You know, they, they're, like yeah. I said, there might be a lot of haters, but um, it's what you like, it's what you have for your purposes, and and it works. Well, and by that same logic, I mean, for people who know me, I literally have attached that wing to a whole separate trunk just so I can switch them out, just so I'm not, in air quotes, that guy. So I think that that's about it for today. So Ryan, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. And, uh, you know, we do plan on um, recording some more together in the future. And just for everyone out there who want to listen, we are found on all the major um, places you'd find podcasts, such as iTunes, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. 
Um, you can also find the podcast on the website, which is at theapex.ca. And don't forget to like and subscribe us on Instagram, Facebook, and you can find us on YouTube at, at the Apex Canada. And we'll see you next time at the Apex.